You tuned in to the Kojo Namdi show on WAMU 88.5. Welcome. Later in the broadcast, a new book by podcast host Call Your Girlfriend traces their big friendship. But first, in the heart of Penn Quarter, the main branch of the D.C. Public Library has maintained its impressive modernist facade for nearly half a century. But anyone who has visited the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial Library in recent years also knows that this impressive shell covered a dark and dingy interior. Now, after three and a half years and $200 million, the library is full of light, art, and amenities that may surprise you. We'll talk about the newly renovated main library. We're also going to talk about public library branches across the district and how they're trying to balance their mission to serve with the risks of welcoming people back to the stacks. Joining me now to discuss this is Richard Reyes-Gavalan, the executive director of the D.C. Public Library. Richard, thank you so much for joining us. Kojo, it's so great to be back. Richard, we'll get to some of the safety concerns about reopened libraries, including concerns from librarians later, but I want to start with the renovation of the main library. You have described a visit to the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial Library before the renovation as a punishing experience. For those who have never visited the district's main library, what did you mean by that? What was wrong with that building? Well, Kojo, I think you described it pretty accurately in your intro. Um, the, the building was dark. It was dingy. Um, there was a tremendous amount of uh, just interior yellow brick, this buff yellow brick that we figured out very early on in the design process wasn't structural, so it could be removed. Um, there was very little sense of, uh, of wayfinding, meaning that you didn't really quite know what to do when you got into the building. And when you found the stairs, you were often um, confused about where to go. Again, the, the darkness... Um, uh, the the lack of any type of you know optimism, the lack of really any great destination, is something that all of our visitors experienced uh, coming into that building for for many years. Give us a general idea of what the library feels like today, now that the renovation is complete. Um, well, I I've got to tell you, Kojo, and uh, I, I of course am biased as the director of the library system. But I have uh, been in the building on many, many tours with uh, Washingtonians and members of the media. And overwhelmingly, the reaction is uh, that they could not believe that it is the same building once you start exploring the interiors. Um, the amount of natural light, um, the amount of space, um, the ceilings feel higher. Um, the air smells cleaner and feels fresher. Um, you can look at all four sides of the building at any one time. There's a real just sense of energy. There's a sense of uh, joy. There's a sense of uh, delight. These are the concepts that we've been talking about for years with our renovated neighborhood libraries, but something that was certainly lacking with the, uh, with the MLK library. But we have finally achieved all those wonderful um, characteristics of 21st century libraries. They make you want to come in. They make you want to stay for long periods of time to explore and to better yourself, not just through getting a book, but maybe by attending a program, maybe by about uh, being inspired through a you know, short walk through an outdoor reading garden or attending a, um, uh, a lecture or a workshop. There's just so much that is going on in that space uh, in the new building, that people are going to be just overwhelmed with options and and happiness, and that's something that I think you know we all we all need in in desperate amounts right now. 
You plan the reopening of the library on September 24th. Given where we are in the pandemic, can that still happen? It can, uh, Kojo. So um, right now, September 24th is our targeted date. Um, we're very happy to say that um, the building was, uh, was built on time and on budget. It's very, very important for me to get that in there. And so September 24th is the date that we have planned. How big or small the opening will be, um, I think that remains to be seen. Um, it's certainly not going to be the four-day extravaganza that we had been talking about uh, back in January or in 2019. It could be something much more uh, limited. It could only be just opening the doors um, to the first floor, which has the public computers, um, a new cafe, um, our most popular and new reading materials, and a uh, little outdoor um, an outdoor patio. So we are we are still um, um, dis- we're still figuring out what the various options might be for reopening. But we are crossing our fingers that we will be able to reopen. Uh, we will be planning uh, larger extravaganzas and grand openings. I think probably in 2021. Um, again, pandemic permitting, of course. Richard, let's talk about some of the new features of the library, starting with what I have been made to understand is your favorite, the curving staircases. What do they look like and what was the intention in building them? Well, Kojo, I think the, the, the biggest, I think, architectural defect that the, that the old MLK library had was the inability for individuals to uh, find their way through the building in any logical way. And probably the most important uh, concept that we discussed with our architects very early on is create this um, almost like this sense of adventure. Um, Our our, uh, inimitable Dutch architect, Francine Huben from Meccano, described it as creating a journey of learning. So we wanted to spend a lot of time creating a beautiful staircase in fact, now we have two. And we also wanted to expose those staircases. So we were able to remove a lot of the brick in the entrance of the building so people could actually see where the public stairwells were. And so um, there is just going to be a, a desire to take those stairs um, to wherever they go. And you, know, you will find something phenomenal on every single floor of that building up through the reading garden. And I should say quickly that you know, understanding that not everyone can take stairs, we still wanted to make sure that people could appreciate the beauty of, that, of those winding stairs. So we have elevator banks within the staircases themselves. So if you are getting off the elevator, you can still appreciate that sense of, uh, of grandeur, that sense of, of moving upward. Well, I was frankly a little surprised that your favorite feature was the staircases because... I think, despite not being a child anymore, that I would, I would have chosen the slide. Can you, can you talk about that and the children's and teens section? Yeah, absolutely, Kojo. Um, the slide is going to be a big hit. There's, there's no way around it. And it was very important for us to um, introduce something that is just pure, unadulterated fun to that, to that uh, library. And so... We reclaimed a little bit of space in a stairwell and we found a perfect location for a slide that won't bother anybody who's doing serious work. It won't bother readers. It won't bother researchers. And it will just be this um, little opportunity for a kind of a playground in the, in the middle of the, the city and in, in the library. 
uh, you likely saw Michaela Lefrac fly, fly down that slide um, a, a week or two ago. So she tested it and it works fine and I think kids are going to love it. And it really represents everything that we tried to accomplish with that building, which is to make it more joyful, to uh, combine learning with recreation and to really give the city uh, just something that they can absolutely love and be proud of. So that slide connects the children's room um, down to close to the first floor, not quite down to the first floor. But children and teens are going to have this you know, purpose-built space, um, a little um, uh, storytime amphitheater, lots of little reading nooks, just spaces where they can feel as, this, this, as though this is their home. And the teens, of course, are going to have a space in which they can do some hanging out. Uh, they've got study rooms that they can book for periods of time. And they've got lots of other options um, uh, within the entire building, not just in the teen space. And I should say that um, I'm very proud that, um, that the Library Board of Trustees a few months ago uh, voted to name our teen room after legendary educator and painter Alma Thomas, um, that's a, a really, I think, important commemorative for us. Um, there's a terrific group of Alma Thomas aficionados in the city who donated, I believe, 12 small Alma, Alma Thomas paintings to the library. So we will be displaying some of those paintings, but more importantly, using those paintings as a tool by which to um, educate students about uh, the history of the city. So lots of exciting stuff going on for kids and teens. Here's Peter in Washington, D.C. Peter, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Oh, good afternoon. Uh, my question is about the books in the library. Uh, I'm an artist, and I used to use the library constantly as a reference for many things. And the book collection slowly just went away. You stopped buying new books, and the, the new branch libraries have only the most generic and superficial art books in them, and you can't use any of the university libraries, UDC will let you in, but you can't use the copying machine without a card. So I'm just wondering about, like, the books in the library. Richard? Yes, uh, thanks for the question. Of course, uh, one of the most important attributes of a central library in a city is to serve as the, um, that repository for deeper collections, collections that uh, don't fit or may not be appropriate for a small uh, fifteen or 20,000 square foot neighborhood library. So I would like to assure the caller that we are paying a tremendous amount of attention uh, to the need for a deeper collection, and not only in the arts, but across the humanities. And it is something that we will be building, I think, with city funding. And in fact, we are looking to work with our our great partners, the D.C. Public Library Foundation, to help add to that depth and breadth because we know how crit critical it is for people who may not have access to university libraries to be able to get those academic, um, academic titles and, and titles that may not necessarily be bestsellers but are still uh, crucial to the work of our, of our residents. Isetta tweets, I'm really very eager to know and hear about the accessibility of the building from the elevators to other accessibility features. And Maurice couldn't stay on the line but wants to know, in the new MLK library, why did they not provide a room on the first floor for the Center for People with Disabilities as opposed to having them go upstairs? I'm asking that. I'm thinking back to an earthquake that happened a few years ago. People with disabilities were not on the ground floor, and it was hard for them to evacuate. Richard, we only have about a minute left in this segment. Sure. Um, so 
In terms of the, uh, the program planning for the building, it would, I'd have to go back about five years. Uh, but we, we wanted to make sure that the, our Center for Accessibility was in the appropriate space in the building with the proper adjacencies. There are many elevators in the new building, and it's, it's uh, one story up okay. on the second floor. Okay. Um, in so, yep. Okay. I'm afraid that's all the time we have in this segment. But Richard Reyes Galvin will be with us when we Galvin will be with us when we come back. I'm Kojo Nand. Welcome back. Our guest is Richard Reyes-Gavilan, the executive director of the D.C. Public Library. And so far, we have been talking about the grand renovation of the MLK Library, which is set to reopen on September 24th. But I wanted to get to some of the safety issues amid a pandemic. Early in the pandemic, all library branches were closed. How many are open now, and how are they operating differently than before, Richard? Sure. Thanks, Kojo. So um, at the moment, we've got 14 of our 25 neighborhood libraries are open for um, what we call Takeout Plus. But uh, uh, what I'll describe that is as a very limited access to to those 14 buildings. Um, If you want to borrow a book, you need to place a hold on that book. And that book will be waiting for you uh, more or less at the building's entrance in the vestibule there. Um, residents, unfortunately, still do not have access to our reading rooms, uh, to our program spaces, our study spaces. All those spaces remain off limits, but we wanted to make sure that we could at least get people their books. The other important thing that we are offering currently in those 14 uh, branches is limited access to public computing. So, um, you know, typically we might have 20 or 25 uh, computers available in one of our branches. Right now we're probably offering, depending on the library, maybe four to eight uh, computers just so that people can be appropriately distanced uh, while they're using those computers. So those are the two major functions that are taking place in those 14 open locations. Um, However... um, Full building access is not what we are offering now, and uh, uh, you know we look forward to doing that at some point, but we're 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 not there yet. It's my understanding that you're quarantining books after their return to the library. Can you explain that practice? Sure, Kojo. Um, so uh, file this under the abundance of caution. Um, we are following best practices of libraries around the country who are uh, following closely a study that is being funded in part by the Institute of Museum and Library Services. Uh, We are quarantining books now for 96 hours upon their return um, in order to just be 100% absolutely sure that there can be no no trace of, uh, of the virus on any of the surfaces of the material that comes back. So material comes back into our building and we, and we hold on to them. Um, we don't touch them as much as humanly possible for four days, at which point we can begin processing them for uh, getting them back on the shelves or getting them ready for their next, um, their next reader. 
Some librarians have noticed that DCPL began opening its branches earlier than those in many neighboring jurisdictions, and they say they don't feel safe on the job. Staff have also complained that they haven't been told when colleagues have become ill. Here, for instance, is Joy in Washington, D.C. Joy, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. I am an avid patron at one of the branches, and it is my understanding, although it's never been confirmed by the library, that you had a uh, personnel test positive for COVID. My concern is I have inquired of the library. No one is allowed to confirm that. And uh, I think you owe a uh, responsibility to both the patrons and the public about this. I have inquired with your union. I have an inquiry into the uh, American Association of Librarians. Is there a best practice for this? Are you following best practice? And what can I do as a patron and a neighbor do to be safe? As well as, can you finally confirm that you did have a COVID-positive personnel? Richard? Um, Thanks, Kojo, and thanks, Jay. So um, in terms of what the library can share, um, we need to be very careful about um, divulging any information that may lead to um, a staff member's privacy being compromised. Um, That said, um, as we continue to work on refining our communications with the mayor's office, I think we are going to be a little bit more flexible in what we can share. I will say this, that it is really important um, for those of us who understand at least a modicum of what it means to, um, to find the close contacts of people who have tested positive for the coronavirus, that not everyone who enters into a building with someone who has a positive test is considered a close contact. So the library's uh, human resources department begins the contact tracing um, procedure by uh, determining who a staff member may, be, uh, may have worked closely with And then the Department of Health's contact tracers would also follow up with um, other close contacts. But again, it's really important to understand that a close contact is not just somebody who may have been in a building. A close contact is defined as someone who has spent a significant time with somebody, about 15 minutes perhaps, in close contact. And there are some other other factors there. But but I want to assure uh, the caller that um, that just coming into a building is not unsafe based on uh, someone having possibly tested positive. Um, I don't do, and Ray, Jay, thank you for your call. I don't know if you've answered Teresa's question, but Teresa, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi, I wanted to follow up. Um, my question was similar around what kind of precautions were going to be taken if a staff member was exposed to someone, just what the actual staff of the library, what kind of protections they would have as well. Thank you. Richard? Um, so we, uh, again, follow the guidance that has been provided to us uh, by the Department of Health. Um, it's very clear and it's very detailed. Um, in the event that a staff member uh, lets us know that he or she has tested positive, that staff member is told to stay home or go home and begin the process by which uh, they will get tested. Um, If we determine that that staff member um, has some close contacts, then we we will have those close contacts also stay at home for a 14-day quarantine. 
Um, I should mention that one of the things that we're doing, at least for the time being, is making sure that our staff work in cohorts um, to facilitate contact tracing. So in, um, you know, in a normal world, we often have staff um, going back and forth and you know, filling in in teams. We're trying to avoid that as much as possible um, in order that we know who is working with who. I should also say, and again, I'll stress this, that um, staff are compelled to wear masks um, and they are also compelled to stay away from each other, not just from, from the public. So um, if at all humanly possible, we are stressing the need for staff to stay at least, at least six feet away from each other and not just from the public. Even though the district libraries were closed for months, they still lent out more books than before the pandemic. Can you describe the increases in demand for library materials and how the DCPL meet this de- demand? Um, Sure, Kojo. Um, And I think I talked a little bit about this when I was on your show a few months ago. You know, we pivoted back in March to a, um, you know, a complete virtual uh, structure. And the demand on the library's e-books and other electronic material has been just, just phenomenal. And it doesn't seem to be abating. And so, uh, solving some of people, some of the the needs for library material through our through our online um, suite of services and collections is great. Of course, we also know that there are individuals that don't use the library's online online collections, and I think that's one of the reasons it's very important for us to at least begin to provide this modicum of access to our physical our physical materials. Um, we still have, you know, hundreds of thousands of items that have been checked out uh, prior to the pandemic that are still coming back. And, you know, if you go to some of our neighborhood libraries, you'll see lines out the door for people who are picking up their physical materials. So it's a, it's a balancing act, but it's important for us to be able to provide people, um, you know, their reading material. You know, in, in so many ways, I think the library provides people not just information, but again, recreation and things that might help take their minds off whatever else is going on in the city or the country or the world. And it's something that, you know, we take uh, very seriously. Only about 20 seconds left, but libraries have been a haven for people experiencing homelessness. Are they coming back to libraries as they open? Well, anybody who needs access to a computer um, can come to one of our open libraries and wait and get on a computer. Um, so I will, I will say that many people um, need access to okay. technology, and we've seen, that v- okay. we've seen that very clearly since the beginning of March. Richard Reyes-Gavalan is the executive director of the D.C. Public Library. Thank you so much for joining us. When we come back, a new book by co- podcast host Call Your Girlfriend traces their big friendship. I'm Kojo Namdi. Michaela LaFrac here. You're invited to What's With Washington's next virtual trivia event on October 1st. We've got all new questions to test your knowledge of the D.C. region. I mean, who wouldn't want to spend an hour nerding out over local trivia? Plus, it's free. Head to wamu.org events to register, and I'll see you on October 1st.